Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. I'm joined as always by Jack Davies. How are we doing, fella? Yeah, not bad, mate. Yourself? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Uh, on the episode today, we're going to look back at Chelsea's win against Brighton on Monday, the 14th of September, before we take a look back at the game against Liverpool. Uh, to start off with, we're going to take a look back at that game against Brighton on Monday with the help of a couple of Twitter guests. Enjoy. All right, and now we're going to hear the thoughts of a couple of people on Twitter. They're both members of SW6 Daily. They are Rob Prattley and they are Tom. Um, Boys, firstly, before we get going, just quick plug to the work you guys do at SW6 Daily. If people haven't checked them out, what sort of stuff can they expect to see on there? Oh, I've mean, been there for a bit longer than I have, so he's probably uh, more qualified to explain, I think. I mean, all things uh, sort of Chelsea-related. We have match previews, match reviews. We're focusing a lot on the women's content, uh, videos, edits, articles, all sorts of very high-quality content from a great selection of content creators on the platform. Really exciting growth bands at the moment. Just hit uh, 10,000 fans today. And yeah, lots more things coming. We've got a lot of exciting partnerships coming with Chelsea sponsors as well. So watch this space, really. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Right, boys, we start the season off with a 3-1 win against Brighton. It wasn't the prettiest display, but we got the three points. And that was all that really massive with the goals coming from Jorginho, Reese James and Kurt Zuma. I'll start with you, Rob. What were your sort of just overriding feelings on the game? I, I'm going to be surprising here. I actually quite like the fact we won, we won ugly. Uh, we didn't do it enough last year. There were too many games last year where we played really well and we either came out of it with a loss or a draw. The obvious ones that come to mind are Liverpool away, where I thought we attacked really, really well, especially in the second half. Manchester City at home played really well overall. Um, probably even sort of United away at the beginning of the season when we lost sort of 4-0. I thought we played really well in all those games, but we didn't win ugly enough. On Monday, we didn't play well at all. It was a poor performance, but if that's what we're like poor this year, and the fact we can actually, you know, seem to be able to defend better from open play, because let's face it, it was a Kepa mistake again, why we conceded. If that's where we're at now, I can't wait to see what we're going to be like in a few weeks' time when Werner's back, sort of motoring, Zayic is back, Havertz is firing, and all the other players from last year are sort of back in the fold as well. Yeah, fair enough. That was... Certainly a thing that stood out for me. Uh, Tom, what about you? I can only echo what Rob said, really. It's exciting to win games. Nobody wants to start off with a loss. And, I mean, after the summer we've had and how exciting it's been, it's really 
important to build up momentum as quickly as possible, build up confidence as quickly as possible. I mean, the the only thing I would say is that for how exciting this summer has been, I'm not one to like pick on the starting lineup. It just it didn't excite me anywhere near as much as it could be. But obviously, like due to injuries, due to players arriving, it was just a bit of a. Sh- I didn't really know what to expect, what formation that sat there for. But you could think of you know all of the sorts of formations under the sun for what we were going to play. Nobody really knew, which I guess is exciting, but it's also a little bit like we hope that we sort of find something to stick to moving forward rather than um, changing from game to game because it can be a strength, it can be a weakness. But I guess when you're trying to bed in new players, you want to try and keep them as stable as possible. Um, But yeah, at the end of the day, a win's a win. The three points is the most important thing. And I didn't think we were bad defensively at all, really. Like, we didn't look stable or in control, but they didn't really have loads of chances. Probably more clear-cut chances than we did, but they, it wasn't like we should have conceded four or five goals and got really lucky about it, which I guess is a positive, because the two centre-backs were actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. It was actually sort of quite nice to see a surprisingly solid defensive performance from base from the same back line as next year. Obviously, it was an exciting day for us Chelsea fans with Kai Havertz and Timo Werner making their long-awaited Chelsea debuts. Sort of a tale of contrasting fortunes, really, with Timo Werner sort of looking lively, the benefits, I suppose, of actually having been signed by Chelsea a while back and sort of training with the first team, whereas Kai Havertz sort of struggled uh, really with the game. You know, again, he's only been training with us four or five days. But, um, just quick thoughts on their two sort of performances again. I'll start with you, Rob. I thought Varner was excellent. I think he showed on Monday that he's more than a goal scorer. So much movement, so much quality. Okay, there were a couple of offsides, but on another day, he's going to time that right. And, you know, he's got the pace to get away from anyone. If he wasn't taken out by Matt Ryan, I think we're probably looking at a debut goal because I think he steps on that and finishes that comfortably. Uh, I love the fact late on in the first half, he tried to catch Ryan out of the near post. I think that's something that, you know, that's the sort of goal and no disrespect to either of them. Abraham or Giroud would not have scored because I don't think they've got that quick burst of ingenuity. The only time I think I've seen Abraham do it was uh, Wolves away last year for his hat-trick where he showed that little bit of slight of foot on Connor Cody and we haven't seen that enough. Um, Werner also, I thought, late on, even when he was sort of tiring a little bit and maybe the formation was changing, he was such a good outlet. Uh, as for Kai Harvitz, I think it was... A tough debut, obviously coming straight in, not really having a preseason. I think he struggled a little bit in the formation, in the position he was played in. Uh, and I, you know, I think that's something that we're going to have to try and work out is what is his best role. I think due to the nature of him, that's going to be sort of something that's going to take a little bit of time. I think it's going to be a while before we see Harvard's best performances. It's probably worth noting that you know he started the season slowly for Leverkusen last year, and it was really after they came back, sort of post uh, coronavirus break that he really, really motored on and started to excel again. So I think we might see a similar trajectory for him. But I also think it was really good just to get him out there, to get the match minutes in there, because, you know, it means he's going to be a lot fresher for when we play the next couple of matches. I think he will play against Liverpool. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him at least featuring some part of Barnsley next week as well, just because the fitness and the sharpness will be there. And then he can really start to produce after the international break. Yeah, fair enough. Very good point there. Tom, what about you? Oh, man, I'm watching Timo Werner was just so exciting. I've not been excited to watch a Chelsea player like that since, I mean, Pulisic last year. But genuine, sort of, in terms of excitement levels, it was like watching Hazard again. Like, just looking at the play and just thinking, give him the ball, he'll do something. Like, because he's so quick and we know how quick he is and, oh, wow, did he show that. Like, especially as ha- with how high Brighton were playing, they were like, feeding him chances, just in behind, going behind, going behind. We've really, we've really got that sort of threat now. And he, I think, I can't remember who said it on Twitter, but somebody described him as like Kante up front. It might be Matisse. And it was just the most accurate thing. I was like, wow, this guy just doesn't stop running. He looks like a machine. Like he's just a goal scorer, you can tell. Uh, obviously he didn't score. He, he wins the penalty. I say just he's just something completely different. Like I can't remember the last time we had a genuine rapid striker. We've always had like big strikers, Drogba, Costa, you know, even like Lukaku when he was here. Morata was a tall guy, not not very quick. Like he's 
a little bit like a Nelker, I guess, was sort of our last quick striker. So it's really exciting to have something just different, just a different threat to the team. Oh, he was so exciting. It just it's not often a new signing comes to the league and people have got him down like this guy could win top scorer, like already. Like he is just Oh, it's so, oh, I can't, but he's just so exciting. He leaves me speechless. Um, his performance definitely sort of overshadowed Havertz, but really, you can't judge that. Like, the man was played out of position on the wing um, in a team that weren't fluid at all, especially not from midfield. Like, Kante and Jorginho didn't really, like, sort of play particularly well together. So there wasn't much coming through the midfield. So he picked up even less than he would in between the lines. Um, yeah, like he he wasn't great. The quality was great, wasn't great, but he did work hard. I like that about him. Like people will remember the run he made when he lost the ball, trapped all the way back into our own box. That's not something he's particularly renowned for. I know from playing in Germany, like he not lazy, but just sort of drifting in and out of games, almost like Deli Ali like the way he just sort of maybe just doesn't really look that interested, but then all of a sudden does something on the ball. That sort of tracking back was something really refreshing. And I'm sure he'll need it with Lampard because we look at what Mount did last season in terms of playing games and energy levels. If Havertz can get like even sort of 50% of that sort of energy level, Chelsea fans are going to love him no matter what because you've got to put energy in, you've got to give 100%. And then if you can do stuff on the ball like we know he can and we know he will later on in the season, well, that's just, it only means good things. Yeah, again, very good points, but I don't think we can really judge Kai Havertz too soon. I also think, again, another young player coming in from the Bundesliga, we might see a similar sort of route, how Christian Pulisic took it, a slow start, and then gradually he'll find his feet. Um, Got to mention, uh, sorry, one of the things that pleased me actually was the reaction we had to conceding the goal. We started the second half off pretty poorly, and then that goal... You know, we can talk about Kepa should save it. It's sort of gone past that point, really, for me. Like, there's no point really discussing it. We know what's gonna, what's gonna happen. The thing that pleased me most was the reaction. A hundred seconds between that and Reese's absolute rocket last year. We saw Chelsea when they concede a goal, confidence drop massively. And I mean, I think back to the Crystal Palace game, which we sneaked over the line in. How dominant we were at two 0 Zaha scores a screamer, and then it's basically hanging on for the last hour. Whereas that sort of seemed to kick us into life, rescores a rocket, and then we sort of maintain- took control really from then on in. I don't know if it was, I, I would, sorry, just not just because he scored the goal, but a lot of credit to a really mature performance from Reese James. Like, he just doesn't look out of place in that side at all. He, he's a shy guy, but he looked like, a, like sort of like a leader in terms of what he did on the pitch. He got himself into a midfield position to score the goal. Obviously, what he did was just outrageous. Like, players shouldn't be doing that, let alone right backs, let alone like 20 year old right backs. Like, come on, that's not fair. But he really sort of like, he was on corners, which was something visible. Like, obviously, we've got Havertz in the team, we've got Mount in the team, but he was taking corners, which is so exciting. Like, I think you've got to give a lot of credit to the young guys for getting us through that because. Obviously, now as Pelaquera on the pitch, Jorginho's captain, he was also sort of like leading us through it. It did feel like, I feel like the team was a bit more vocal and sort of led themselves yesterday. I know over lockdown, we saw bits of Lampard sort of geeing the team up against like Man City during the break. Um, and there was another lockdown game where we heard like him talking with as Pelaquera. Obviously, there wasn't any of those breaks during the game yesterday. So it really came from within the team. And that's exciting because... One thing this team has been missing has been leaders, but it looked like they sort of managed themselves yesterday. Uh, no, not yesterday, on Monday. I'd have to echo a lot of that. And the other thing I would say is that, and I think people are forgetting this, is the young players have now got another year underneath their belt. Um, the likes of your Mount, your Reese James, even Christensen, who's still relatively sort of young. Um, Abraham, sort of hudson Adoy. The other thing is all of those at youth level are used to winning everything every single year. Last year is going to be the first year where perhaps the likes of, you know, a Reese James or a Hudson Adoy has not picked up some form of silverware. They're going to be pretty, you know, frustrated at the fact that they lost the FA Cup final. I think they all Chelsea fans are. A lot of these players are proper Chelsea fans and would have wanted to win that, especially for Lampard. 
So you're going to start to see that. The other thing is, I think there is an element of a changing of the guard happening at Chelsea. And I think, you know, with the losses of obviously Pedro and Willian going in the summer, sort of previously before that, obviously in recent years, we've lost other sort of, you know, big names. I think now from Conte's sort of title winning side, the only regular players sort of still in the starting 11 are what? Azpilicueta and Kante are the only two still regularly sort of starting. So even that was, what, 26 or 16? Even then, you know, just a few years later, and there's been such a massive change in the guard that sort of happened. And the likes of Rhys James, at the end of his loan spell at Wigan, he was captaining, he captained Wigan for the final couple of games, and they all said what a pleasure it sort of was him and, you know, how mature he sort of become. You've got people like Pulisic that are used to being the poster boy for America. You've got Zayat, okay, he's a little bit older, but he is sort of, you know, the great hope of Moroccan football and the poster boy for, you know, one of the most dominant states, sort of one of the most dominant states in African football. People forget, I think, that we've brought in those leaders over the summer. And I think it showed that on Monday because as soon as we went sort of that goal conceded, okay, you know, we can't talk about Kepa, as you said, but instantly we were back up the other end. There was quick, snappier passing. I could just tell after we conceded, it felt snappier. And as soon as that ball came across to Brees James, you know, last year, I think we'd have gone, he'd have passed that wide. I think he'd have gone wide. He'd have maybe seen, you know, Willie and down the line. He'd have gone wide and we'd maybe end up McCorn from it. I think James wouldn't have taken on that last year because I think that all comes from a bit more confidence of being a year older and saying, you know, I can do this because he scored a very similar goal at Wigan. I'm, I think it was one of the, someone on Twitter did share it and it was almost a carbon copy replica. And I think all of that confidence, we're going to start to see that in leaps and bounds from the players as they get older and they realise, you know, now they get, you know, 30 to 50 Chelsea appearances and, you know, 25 plus Premier League appearances under their belt. And you're already starting to see that. Well, you made a good point, just mentioning William and Reese James passing out to William. Part of, like, I reckon why James last season would have made that pass is, like, as you said, like seniority. Pedro and William have both gone. They were both senior players. Like, there weren't many, and like, I mean, Kepa hardly counts as a senior player. So it's almost just this sort of reluctance to like, why would I bother passing it to a seat to another player? Like, I can do this myself. Like, I'm one of the better players in this team. It just seems yeah. that they've built up confidence over the summer from the fact that we don't need William in the team anymore because we've got young players that are just so, so much better. Like, even just something as small as that can give somebody like Reese James and other players on the pitch like so much confidence I think yeah no I think I, I fully agree I I mean I think we might have seen Reese. I remember him, I think the FA Cup semi-finally sort of tried a shot similar range against United but I completely agree last year I'd have been passed out to Willian who would you know probably would completely slow the play down and we'd probably end up passing it sideways backwards or whatever and then maybe get a corner so yeah no, I completely agree. Absolute rocket hit. And from then on, we sort of took the ascendancy and then sort of killed the game off with Zuma's deflected goal from the corner. On the on the topic of Zuma's deflected goal, I would also like to say you can immediately see Anthony Barry's influence there. Because Anthony Barry, I saw it last year for Wigan, they were doing those corners to when they had Shade Unkley. And Shade Unkley, OK, it was a little bit higher and he was sort of heading it on, heading it back into the area. But... If you imagine if we can get that instead of a Zuma being on the end of it, you know, say it's a Timo Werner volleying it in, or alternatively we've got Zayic finding habits in the area, you know, whether or not they get a clean contact on it, as we saw, there's a chance of it going in via a deflection. If one of those gets it and hits a rocket, I'm pretty confident they're going to score. And immediately I felt a lot more confident just seeing us actually finding a free man with a corner, because I can't think of the last time I've actually seen us do that in a game. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. The the irony of Willian's first corner for Arsenal <laughs> resulting in a goal is just like, oh, what what were those seven years? But yeah, no, that said, that was brilliant. It was actually nice for us to score a goal from a corner as well. And then from then on, it was it was pretty comfortable. Not the greatest performance, but job done on week one with very little prep. So there are a lot of encouraging, exciting signs there. Um, got going to go on to some... Yeah, going to go on to some Twitter questions. Uh, the first one is, he's obviously been, you know, it's quite the Twitter after the game. You'd have thought, you might have thought we'd lost that, to be honest. There was a lot of negativity on the timeline, and in particular towards one player. And we've got a question about that. 
What is your take on the Ruben Loftus cheat situation and what would be the right way to approach it if there is any one way to? Um, I mean, uh, okay. Um, I mean, I think it's really difficult with Loftus cheek to, you know, analyse it because obviously there's been a long term injury. When he got himself back to full fitness, then we had the COVID break, so you had another disruption. I had the pleasure, well, I was lucky enough to speak to someone last year who's an expert on injuries during the COVID break, and I sort of said, what about players like Loftus cheek coming back? And they sort of said, effectively, they have to be really, really careful because they can just re damage themselves. Now, do I think Loftus-Cheek played well on Monday? No. Do I think Loftus-Cheek really struggled on Monday? Yes. However, what I am going to say is I'm willing to give him a number of games to work to get through Sharks back. However, I feel those games need to be in the right competitions. And if, you know, ultimately, I think for the players' sake, if the right loan offer became available this summer, assuming that we can't move on certain players, um, well, you know, I won't name said players, but assuming we can't move on certain players in the midfield and the right loan offer became available, I would not be against loaning out Ruben Loftus-Cheek because we've seen what he could do for a full season at Palace under his belt. At the end of the day, I think mentally there's going to be a gap at the moment because, you know, when he got injured for Chelsea, he's arguably in the form of his career. He just got himself, you know, into the England reckoning. He was almost certain to be going to, would it have been the World Cup that summer? Um no, you know, mm. uh, no, but possibly a year after World Cup. He'd, he would have, been, he'd he would have been playing himself into prime contention for Euros this year. Yeah. would have been this summer, yeah. This summer. He was also, you know, pretty. I think he just scored against Eintracht Frankfurt in the previous game at Stamford Bridge and, you know, has been one of our better players in that Europa League semi final and was a shoe in to start probably that key run of games. Now, Obviously, I think there's a mental aspect of it. There's also the fact that the club have brought in a number of top midfielders, whether you know we like it or not, and not every youth player is going to make it. I don't think Loftus-Cheek is any sort of winger. I don't necessarily think he's an attacking midfielder. I still think his best position is that deeper midfielder where he can drive from deep and use his physicality and his sort of you know turn of pace, not necessarily speed, but his turn of pace and his dribbling skills. And I'm not necessarily sure at the moment the system is designed to have that. Because I think if you've got Kante in that, I think in the longer term, Lampard's going to want two number eights, if you want to call them. And I think that's probably going to be Mountain Harvard's first choice. Uh, I know later on we're going to you know, be discussing Ross Barkley, and that's another you know conundrum. But I think if the right offer became available for Ruben Loftus-Cheek, we should consider letting go alone, more for the good of his own career. Because I feel if he's playing you know 10 to 15 games this year at Chelsea, and he's sort of stunting his development, by the end of this year, he'll be, what, 25? 26, and then you're starting to see another situation like a Ross Barkley where they're sort of just drifting a little bit, and maybe, you know, it's best if they move on, as harsh as it sounds. Fair enough. Tom, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, just on the position thing, I think I agree. The thing is, Lampard has had such a limited time with Loftus-Cheek. Lampard probably doesn't know what Loftus-Cheek's best position is. I agree completely it's not on the wing. And he doesn't look suited to be a 10 either. I think he can play as an 8, but almost in the same way that Kovacic can. Um, he's not suited like, as an attacking 8, but he very much could play a driving position. Almost a little bit like the sort of player you think Pogba is. He just needs uh, a wider range of passing, but the same way he uses his body. I think my opinion of him hasn't changed. Obviously, I'm not watching Monday night and going, oh, wow, he's useless. He didn't have a good game. And over, like, just like at the start, uh, sorry, before lockdown, I was thinking, we need to get him a run of games. We need to get him a run of games. We still do need to give him a run of games. But we can't be treating him like this wonder kid. He, I think he has the right to like earn more seasons over somebody like Ross Barkley, who we should be looking to get rid of. Um, I just feel like I'm not sure what sort of offer we would be able to get for him because of his injury problems like he's had back problems he's had obviously like the injury he picked up um, in that game in America is an absolute freak one like, that, that I don't think there's anything that any could, amount of conditioning or being like less injury prone would do about that I think it's a tricky one because he's such like Chelsea fans love him, um, 
and you can tell that there's talent there. But maybe, just maybe, we have to start thinking that if he doesn't produce this season, then yeah, we have to look at just like, I don't know, not necessarily like getting rid of him, but thinking we can't prioritise him over somebody else. Like, let's just say hypothetically, we see something from Tino Andrew in this season or Billy Gilmore when he comes back. If Loftus-Cheek doesn't do something worthwhile this season, then you have to start thinking, well, maybe it's worth giving Andrew in his game time if he's not a starter or his cup games or playing Billy Gilmore in a different position. Maybe, just maybe. It's, it's not a nice one to say because everybody wants him to succeed. But it is sort of, you can't just keep, like, pushing him ahead of other players just because he's Ruben Loftus-Cheek and just because he was an unbelievable player at 18 and he had a good season last season. It's a harsh reality and not one that I want to admit, but one that's sort of dawning on me that it's time is running out for him now to really kick on. We can still see good bits of him, like Barkley. We saw good bits of Barkley at the end of last year. We see good bits of Barkley for England. We saw a really good, some good Ross Barkley on Monday night. Like, he actually almost changed the game for us. But we don't want Loftus to become Barkley. And if he did, at the end of the day, it wouldn't be bad. He's still somebody we've not paid any money for that's become a really decent squad player. But we can't keep bigging him up like he's much more than that at the moment because, in reality, he just isn't yet. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair enough. It sort of feels to me this is sort of make-or-break season for Ruben. So, yeah, and you mentioned Barkley there. The next question is, does Ross Barkley deserve more credit for his part in the Brighton game? The reaction seemed more aimed at those who didn't perform. I thought Ross came on on Monday night and he did all right. He did well. I completely agree. I'd just say... you on this one, Tom. Yeah, I'd just say that that's Twitter for you. You've got to take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah. Like, there's good bits of it. There's bad bits of it. People are going to criticise no matter what. It doesn't matter Like if you're talking to Chelsea fans, Man United fans. It's becoming a hard platform to actually spend any meaningful time on at the moment. Um, unless you really cut out people that you don't like. I wouldn't say Barkley needs more credit because I think people are giving him credit. And at the end of the day, he didn't score. He didn't get an assist. He calmed the game down when we were winning, I think. I think he came on after James scored. I can't, I can't yeah. quite remember. I think he he did, came on he? for Ruben, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, he improved us. Yeah, he deserves credit for that. But Twitter's Twitter at the end of the day. It wasn't an outrageous performance. It was a good, oh, wow, yeah, Ross Barkley can still play a part while he's here. Yeah. But I think everybody would much prefer that person to be Loftus-Cheek, if it can be. Yeah. Rob? One. One thing I will always give credit to Barkley for is that whenever, and this is a, both a blessing and a curse, Barkley always tries to play forward and always tries to be positive. However, there's what I like to call sort of a Barkley moment, which is that he'll do something absolutely brilliant, whether it's a turn or a pass or, you know, a little dribble or something that's absolutely superb. And you see it and think, oh, that's brilliant. And then it will be followed up by the most ridiculous sort of moment of stupidity, whether one, the one that really, really stands in my mind is last year. I think it was uh, Villa in the Villa when we played them after the restart. Barkley came on. No, sorry, it was Leicester in the FA Cup. Barkley came on and scored. And then later on had terrific, terrific, mazy dribble. I think went round to Deedy, went round to at least two other players, got one-on-one needed to take the shot on or pass it, waited too long to take the shot, then tried to pass it and just gave it straight back to, I think it must have been Soyuncu, who just cleared it. Now, Barkley to me, do I think Barkley has really progressed at all as a footballer since joining Chelsea? If I'm honest, no. However, I still think he's a solid Premier League player. There's a reason why he gets, you know, selected for England if he's fit. There's a reason why he's, you know... Must have, must have at least 100 games in the Barclays Premier League now. It's not as if he's a complete, you know, no-hoper. There is clear quality there. However, what I don't think we can afford, you know, to overlook is the fact that I think Barkley came on. And because he came on for Ruben, who obviously was struggling so much in the game, I think the fact that Barkley 
you know, look more comfortable. I think, firstly, in the fact that I feel like we changed formation a little bit and Barkley sort of dipped back a bit more into the midfield to cement us. And also, just because he was getting the basics right, it made his performance look better because Rubens was undeniably worse. Now, do I think Ross Barkley has a longer-term future with the club is sort of, you know, a whole complete other question. I would argue that I think, you know, the ceilings for people like Tino Andoran are incredibly high. We obviously got Connor Gallagher who looks to be going out on loan this season to West Brom, but I think he's a fantastic, fantastic midfielder. There's even names up, you know, if you want to go further back, Marco Van Ginkel, who's still in the squad. And I know Lampard speaks very, very highly of him, whether or not, you know, that's just sort of lip service to an extent to keep the players sort of happy after his awful injury records and other matter. But I think, you know, realistically, once we've got everyone fully fit, uh, and I include sort of Billy Gilmore in that, and probably even Tino Andoran, you can't really look at Ross Barkley and say, at this moment in time, there's an obvious place for him to start, or an obvious place in the system. Do I think he's a better number eight than, say, Havertz, Mount, Kovacic? No. Do I think he can play defensive midfield? No. Do I think he can play on the wing? No. If he's happy being a squad player, I think you can probably, you know, you might keep him for one more year due to the sort of coronavirus situation deflating player values. But realistically, if the right offer comes in, and also for the player's sake, if he's going to get an offer from, say, another club where he's going to start every single game and put himself in a better contention for, you know, being in the England squad for next summer's Euros, then I think at his age, he must be sort of 26, 27 now, it's more make it's make or break time for him as to whether he's really going to fulfil that potential that he shows as a young player. At the moment, I don't think he is, and I think you know a change is needed. Not Fair to enough. like take this away. It's obviously it's your guys' podcast. Would either of you, even though Rice is coming, would come in as a defensive midfielder or a centre back? Would either of you be against getting rid of Barkley, an attacking-minded midfielder, and bringing in Rice? Plus, like you know, obviously Barkley going the other way. Would you be opposed to that? Do you think that leaves us short? Do you think we miss out on anything there? Uh, or would you both do that? No, I'm, I'm all for getting Declan Rice. I'm all for getting Declan Rice, to be honest. I know people have sort of said about the price, bit putting him off, whatever, but I think he'd be exactly what we need, to be honest. And if, yeah, Barkley can be used as a mate weight, then for sure, go for him. How would you yeah. feel if it was, just in regards to that, how would you feel if it was Loftus Cheek instead? Ooh, that's a tricky one. That is. It, that's tricky because I just want Ruben to succeed. I really want Ruben to stay around. But uh, if, why, if it was why, Ruben, I don't think uh, I'd do it. I don't know. I think personally, I I love Ruben and seen him like go through the teams and succeed. Um, but after this injury and just. Yeah, just seeing him struggle now. And mm. the the thing is for him, that, like you boys said, the time is running out. He's 24. He's not a young player anymore. He's he's slowly turning into a Jesse Lingard, if you ask me. So, I was waiting for someone to say that. Um, that's, that's the harsh reality of it. Like, like mm. Nick said, I really want him to succeed and stay at the club, but... I don't know. I, we'll, I, we'll have to see. Yeah, if we're going to use more like cliche midfielders, he's in danger of becoming our Jack Wilshire. He's <laughs> always injury prone. So, uh, look, I want him to succeed, but yeah, I probably would give him to West Ham for Rice. Yeah, I know I've said I want him to succeed, but yeah, I probably would because I think we've got options in midfield in his position anyway. Yeah, Declan Rice is a massive Chelsea fan as well, so he definitely <laughs> wants to come. Definitely wants to come. I want to thank you boys very much for coming on to review the Brighton game and answer some Twitter questions. Again, Rob, just quick, do you want to drop your Twitter handle again so you know people can follow you and sort of interact with you on there? Yeah, it's at RJP Journalism. Okay, and Tom? Yeah, it's uh, at Tom Coley 49 I'm just going to name drop my own podcast. Um, Go for at it, the Blue Crew Pod 1. Um, it was quite nice being on someone else's podcast once because I'm usually in your position just asking the questions and I'm sure you have to listen to us and think, oh, wow, they're chatting absolute tripod. Listen. 
so it's been quite nice to be on the other end of it and to be able to speak freely and I'm, I'm sorry if uh, sorry if we uh, didn't do what you wanted. And welcome back and we're now going to take a look back at that disappointing result when we lost 2-0 at home to Liverpool. Uh, Jack, team news came out and I'll be honest, in the chat, in the group chat, I wasn't best pleased with the lineup. I did not like that midfield. I said it's a sorry midfield. I wasn't a fan of the fact we weren't playing natural wingers and that Mountain, like in the end, it turned out Habits wasn't put, played out wide, but we thought he was going to be played out wide again. Um, the team news was quite uninspiring, but to be fair to Frank, he had a plan and it was going all right for about 44 minutes. Yeah, it was going well. Until we had a bit of a disaster. Well, the first blooming time we decide to go and push push some men forward and actually go and attack. And then we just get completely done on the counter-attack. So you can, when you saw that, you can bloody understand why we didn't bother attacking the whole first half. Because we just get done like that. And then we're down to 10 men and then it was just an impossible task against a team like Liverpool. Um, it, it It really just showed yesterday the the big difference between them and us. We're talking about us trying to close this gap. Um, I think, I know we've got players to come in um, that still aren't fit yet and the new players still need to gel with the others, but I honestly think we're still a long way off. Um, You can say, yeah, the game plan was working. I agree, it was working. Um, But it it still showed to me that how much better they are than us when we even when we had 11 men because we're at home we're playing at Stamford Bridge and if we were all there as fans I'd be pretty pissed off watching that because we just had nothing literally nothing a couple of chances but then Werner gets up the pitch and then he's just literally got nothing on because we're playing so deep we can't get any men forward quick enough um so yeah overall just a disappointing game um, just need just need these the new boys to come back uh, into the team ASAP. Um, that's what I think, really. Yeah, it feels sort of similar to last season. We're just playing Liverpool at the wrong time of the season again. We played them early on last season as well, and you know we still had a lot of players, quite a few players mm-hmm. missing then and today. So not today on um, Sunday. There was no Chilwell, no Thiago Silva. Obviously no. Hakim Ziyech. So, yeah, there were some big, big players missing and, you know, the goalkeeper, which we'll get on to a bit later. But, yeah, as you said, it, while it wasn't pretty viewing and it was sort of quite long, and as I agree, if we'd been in there, we'd have probably been quite frustrated. But credit, you know, to Frank for the system. Yeah. We were quite solid defensively. And I can't remember yeah, Liverpool actually testing Kepper in that first half or really having a shot. No, not at all. Only the one where um, Kepa comes charging out and then Christiansen has to make a block on the line. But other than that, didn't really trouble us at all. So, fair, it's a fair play. Yeah, it was it was working. Um, but just can't go in like that, Christiansen. And then as soon as that happened, we just knew it was game over, to be honest. No coming back, coming back against a team like that. Yeah, yeah, it was tough, very tough as well. On the stroke of half time, you thought get into half time, and then Frank can actually get into them and say, right, be a bit braver on the ball. But then that, that goes completely out the window. Um, one of the big debates was who do you take off at half time? Frank chose to take Kai Havertz off for Fikayo Tamori. Again, I said in the chat, he'll take Havertz off. It just seemed the inevitable one to take off because. Yeah. As much as people would have probably said, take Mount off, he wasn't doing anything. And I completely agree that Mount, that first half was wasted out wide because we didn't press Liverpool at all. So Mount basically offered nothing. But when we were down to 10 men, it was going to be crucial. We had sort of that energy in midfield and Mm -hmm. Havertz, you know, we praised him for tracking back on Monday against Brighton. But I sort of feel he's sort of going to be like a Meza Ozil type player. So he's not going to really get into the sort of nitty-gritty yeah Yeah, exactly and defend so it kind of made sense for Mount yeah I 
I completely understand it. I completely understand it, to be honest. Um, the people complaining, but I mean, come on. Literally, the bloke's been with the team five days. He played, what, 60 minutes against Brighton, something like that, of Premier League football. Mount's played pretty much, I think, every single game apart from one last year. He's played in the Prem. He knows what it takes. It, it was just obvious that Frank's going to keep him on. He loves him as well, so... So there's no taking him off, but um, you you can understand why people are annoyed because he's a new signing, paid big money for him, everyone wants to see him. But at the end of the day, he needs time to time to come good. So uh, I fully understand why Frank took him off, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. That was one of the questions we go in. Why was Havis taken off and not Mount? Look, I think I just said I'd consider taking Jorginho off. Mm. I, I might have considered Jorginho, but I don't. I don't think it made sense to take Mount off as much as he might have struggled in that game. His again, it seems kind of sort of basic thing to say. And there is more to Mount's game than this, but his energy in that midfield is going to be like crucial when we when we've got to suffer without yeah. the ball to coin a Conte exactly. phrase. So mm. yeah, that was the one change at half time. Uh, I'll link it into this. Another question was how many changes or what half time changes would you have made? I think it made sense. We look. We obviously knew we were going to bring a centre back on. Mm-hmm. And again, for me, I didn't really think of it at the time. But in hindsight, yeah, if we'd had Giroud on a target man up top to try and relieve the pressure, I think that would have helped. But then again, that means you're making two of your subs at half time. Yeah, he's not going to make two, is he? Yeah, he's not going to make two at half time. That's just that's just ridiculous. So. It was always going to be a centre back for one of those midfielders or false wingers, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> um, yeah. To be honest, I, I I think that was probably the best decision at the time. Or Jorginho uh, coming off. Yeah, no, I agree. And then so Tomori comes on. The second half starts. Mane scores a header. It's well worked from Liverpool. Get past. I think was it Alonso's side. Alonso side easily and then Mane beats Reese to the ball and heads it in and it's 1-0 and you go okay but to be fair 1-0 you're still alive you're still alive it's no matter how tough it is you are still alive and you still sort of hope that something can happen but then unfortunately a matter of moments later it's 2-0 and it's a Kepa error and you know we've criticised Kepa a lot he didn't actually have many. I don't think he's had many errors leading to goals or in the official stats, but this certainly was one. Tries passing out from the back, charged down by Mane, and he slots it home. And from then on, you know it's done. The game's gone. And Yeah, I, I don't have much more to say about it, to be honest. Uh, yeah. I, won't even, I won't even go and attack the bloke and get angry because... I I genuinely actually feel sorry for him now. Like as soon as that went in, I just yeah, just felt bad for him. Everyone's fucking hammering him, commentators, everyone's on his back. Um the bloke's confidence must be so low and his like mental health is not good. Um and for him I just think he just needs to get out of out of Chelsea ASAP. Uh maybe go back to the La Liga. Just somewhere else. Go, go somewhere else. Go and get your confidence back, and then maybe try and come back to the Prem. Say three years. He's still a young goalkeeper. He's still got his future, but he, he honestly just needs to end this nightmare race up. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't even angry for it when it happened. I was sort of. It's got to that point for me of Kepler where I don't expect anything. Anything he saves is a bonus. That's sort of for me how bad it's sort of got for him look it's nothing personal against him it's not nice to see when one of your players is going through a patch of well a patch of form it's been i don't know ages it's been you know going on for a while and his confidence is just shot and at 2-0 mm. the game is just yeah you feel it's done but then a moment of hope timo Werner creates <laughs> something he you know he drives into the box and he gets clipped by Thiago and you're thinking, oh, 20 minutes to go. We've got a penalty here. And at that moment, I thought, if we were in the ground, how alive that ground would become and getting behind the team. And then Jorginho steps up and unfortunately, 
The penalty. Hop, skip and a miss. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The penalty um, saved. And at that moment, you just, oh, any hope and optimism was just gone. Yeah, you just knew knew when that happens. It's not our day, is it? Um, yeah, oh, it's just so frustrating. It's one of those. Even if, even though we weren't there, he slots that away. We've got fifteen plus added on time, so best of twenty minutes. And a, a goal goals change games. Honestly, they they would have. Uh, I'm not saying they would have collapsed Liverpool because they're a good team, but. It would have had definitely had an impact on them, and like any game, there'll be more chances. So we would have had another chance to score, I reckon. So it is frustrating, but it's one of those what if sort of situations. Uh, it didn't slot it away. Shit penalty. Um, disappointing in loss, and just onto the next one. Really, that's how you got to look at it. I think. Yeah. Exactly. As I said, sort of, of all time, it was tough to be too angry with that because I didn't see a Chelsea team that didn't try. I just saw a Chelsea team that just weren't good enough. But Liverpool just outplayed us, really. There's not much more to say on it. And look, we missed the pace out wide. I'm not saying we win if we have Pulisic, but that's a big miss, not having someone who can mm-hmm. terrorise their defence. Because if we had Werner, Havertz and Pulisic... You never know. The sort of that pace yeah. in behind could have really yeah, well, caused the saw, saw what um what damage he caused to them after lockdown Pulisic when him and Tammy came on and Callum to be fair, they all completely changed the game, didn't they? Yeah. Um but like I said, we just need those boys to get fit as soon as possible and then Hopefully, give it two, three weeks, and we we could look look like a good team with those boys in the team, because we've yeah we just got so so much dead wood. Honestly, Keith has got to go. Look, Alonso for that first goal yesterday. It's just it's so poor. I play left back, played left back. Me playing football, and it's just a simple one too. You've got to stick with your man, and he doesn't stick with his man, and then Reese loses his man as well, and then it's one nil. Um, and then the second one just inexcusable, really. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it was disappointing. Before we get on to some more questions, I do just want to say I thought Tamori, when he came on, had a good game. Yeah, on, yeah, he was quality, honestly. And Zuma, to be fair. Yeah. Um, putting dogged defensive, uh, uh, defensive performance. Um, yeah, and uh, you've got to look at it in a positive way. I think we said this yesterday. Um, with Christensen getting sent off, that's him out for three games, straight red. So it gives Tamori an opportunity to come into the team and show Frank what he can do. Um, and we'll soon find out, I guess. Or obviously Thiago Silva coming back as well. So uh, still competition there. Uh, I think it'll be one of those two to partner Zuma, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I also give sort of another mention. I thought Kante was pretty good yesterday you know he was that was that's what we know Kante can do he's that's what we sort of missed from him so much last season and we need I thought Kovacic although you know not necessarily his best game but there were a couple of moments in the first half putting balls through he put one over top for man but was just overcooked and he was quite good sort of breaking breaking sort of through the lines and putting balls in Mm -hmm. and it, it was something that we'd missed against Brighton for sure. And finally, look, I know Reese, you know, partly at fault for that first goal, but I actually thought he was quite solid defensively. Yeah. No, Otherwise, yesterday, it was tough for him in an, an attacking sense because we didn't really get to attack. Go anywhere. <laughs> no, exactly. As much as we sort of played the game plan, it would have been more effective if we'd actually had natural wingers out there. And that is yeah. why I'm going to lead on to this question, which is how much longer can Lampard continue with Mount on the wing in the absence of Christian Pulisic? Um, well, it looks like he'll be playing it until he's back fit. So, um, yeah, that's that's honestly what I think. He's going to keep playing him there. He clearly doesn't. There's something with Callum that he clearly doesn't doesn't rate because he will be playing. If the bloke's not playing now, when you've got Pulisic injured, Ziyech injured, he's not going to play at all this season, is he? Yeah. It's it's just yeah. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, he's honestly just going to keep playing him there until these other players are fit because uh, yeah. he loves him. So, uh, yeah, I can't say much more than that. Yeah, no, look, for me, for me, it's frustrating because I just... I just like I don't. We saw last year it did it. It worked all right against some of the big teams. I think to the Spurs games, mounts or being mm-hmm. played sort of out wide worked. But yeah. against Liverpool, when you're going to have to sort of suffer without the ball, we have to try and get them on transitions. We needed that pace in behind, and Callum could have hurt them, but he didn't. Yeah. Get, he didn't get the chance, and that for me is what ultimately was the most frustrating thing about it because we know how talented he is. And you sort of feel like, when, when are these opportunities going to keep coming? Because mm. now you're sort of thinking, well, he, he's got to play against Barnsley midweek in the Cup and hope he puts in a performance there. But he's better than playing League Cup matches. Yeah, 100%. That, that's the frustrating 100%. thing for me. And as a result, look, I know, you know, you've got to be wary of sort of social media. But as a result, of Mount is getting so much grief for being played out wide because people are so fed up of him playing out wide instead of, instead of Callum. You know, mm. it's sort of he's getting a lot of unnecessary hate. Yeah. Due to the fact that, you know, Frank's not taking it's, a chance on Callum and it's frustrating. Yeah. yeah, isn't it? It's not it's not Mount's fault at all either. Like Lampard's the one that's picking the team. But I fully understand why people want want Callum to play because he's direct and he takes men on down the wing. Um Mount just hasn't got the pace for it and can't get in, in behind people. Um, saw a good, few good runs from Timo when he was when he was drifting out wide yesterday, um, going in, in in behind a bit. But Fabinho was a joke yesterday. He had him in his pocket completely. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I agree. It was tough because he was making good runs, but can I say the midfield we had was not the creativity there. No, like some no. of Timo's like... runs, just thinking. Can we bring back Fabregas? Yeah, <laughs> like, oh yeah, that would be nice. Just yeah, it's honestly like it's honestly like playing Mikel, Essien, and Makaleli all on the same pitch. Yeah. Yesterday. Nah, it was frustrating. Yeah, just, yeah. Look, I don't want to. No creativity at all. I don't want to dig Jorginho out, but um, I have to admit, there's a moment in the second half where Robertson just went past him and Jorginho ended up on his ass. And to be honest, I just burst out laughing. Like we were two 0 down, and I was just like, "Oh no, he's done it! He's done it to him again." Yeah. Second time. <laughs> we mentioned like, oh, and the things we've talked about before. Robertson's not the quickest either, but he's just completely did Jorginho, and you just go, "Oh no." And you, the funny thing is, you sort of see Kante's reaction. He just goes, and his head just goes down. And he goes, "Ah, oh, yes, I've got to, I've got to track back now and clear up again." Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. it is. This. Yeah. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. As I say, but and like, can, like you said, Kante, Kante had a good game. He, honestly, best player in the world at what he does. But even him, it, the bloke can't pick a pass. Oh, there was that moment he was in front and he went like backwards again. I think he ended up back at the keeper. Yeah. Coming, and it's just like, he, take yeah. a chance. Just there, sh- shoot, or Reese was coming down the outside. Hold it for a minute, delay, and play yeah. Reese, and he'll cross it in. And what did we do? We ended up going all the way back to the bloody goalkeeper. It's, oh, yeah, it's frustrating. But... but it's not his game. But ultimately, no, he's, the most, he's the most attacking out of that midfield, which says yeah. it all. <laughs> says it all. That, and I said to you, I've said it, and I will keep saying it. I never want to see Jorginho and Kovacic in the same midfield, because to me they offer exactly the same thing. Except Kovacic is better at driving with the ball than Jorginho, but Kovacic yeah. can set the tempo because he was he was basically playing sort of at points, you know, just in front of the centre backs, and he was picking the ball yeah in the box and passing it around. He was. It's going to frustrate. It frustrates me, and to be honest, I do think Jorginho has been playing out of circumstance due to you know, players being unavailable because I feel if we had Ziyech, if we had Pulisic playing, I don't think we'd be yeah. seeing Jorginho in that midfield. I think we'd probably be seeing Kova, Kante, and then maybe one of Mount or Havertz and then Ziyech and Pulisic yeah. on the wings. I don't think Jorginho has been playing out of necessity and also the fact that with Aspi returned to fitness, we don't have a captain. Yeah, He's, Jorginho yeah, exactly. has been his vice-captain. And as you know, while I said we said in Brian, I thought Jorginho had a decent individual game. I don't think him and Kante worked. And again, that midfield for me, 
it was just literally, as, as I said, it's a sorry, it was a sorry midfield. And I was just so uninspiring. So for sure, just get players back fit. It's gonna, I think it's going to be tough. I think people have got to be patient. I think wait, with the international break when it comes is going to be so good for us because we're going to have players yeah, back. Definitely. And that's when we can really get excited and start. It sort of feels like now we've got, I think, two games. We've got West Brom and Palace. We can just pick up six points from those two games. Yeah, nine points class. from the first still twelve be, that, is a still good be a start. very good start. Yeah, yeah definitely. exactly. And then we can hopefully kick on and play players will have had more time with the team, and we can push on. Right. The final question got sent in: What do you think our best centre back partnership is going to be? Rudiger was left out of the squad, and it's now merged today. But you know he might be off. And apparently Tottenham are interested in Mourinho's interested in. Rudiger apparently, so that'd be interesting really? to see what happens there. Christiansen. Oh, shock will shock will let someone go to another London club again. Fucking hell, let them go left, right, centre. Christiansen obviously is suspended, and we've said it before with him. You know, he might have the, a good game, but then it's filled with a disaster class not long <laughs> after. And he's, as I said, I just don't think he's sued for the prem. The way he no. is, he's not suited. So look, we've got. A chance now to hopefully build a centre back partnership. Question is, what do you think our best centre back partnership is going to be this season? I personally think it's going to be Zuma and Thiago Silva at the moment. Um, get the experience in, and I think Zuma needs someone like that next to him, and then I think he could have a very good season. Um, although, honestly, Tamori was quality yesterday as well when he came on, so I wouldn't be surprised to see it being. Those two against West Brom if Thiago Silva's not still fit. But over the course of the season, I think it's going to be Thiago Silva and Zuma. Yep, yep. No, I agree. As I said, most encouraging for me out of yesterday was the fact that Tamori sort of came in from the cold and put in a really good performance. And as we sort of, we discussed it last, last season on pod, it's sort of one of the biggest like, mysteries, what happened with him. Yeah. Last season with Frank. I was just but, thinking, what? When's the last time he he played a game for us? I think it was Bournemouth when we drew two all. He sort of came in from the cold. Yeah. He not played in months and struggled against Bournemouth. Like no surprise when we didn't see him again. Mm-hmm. But for sure, I think we need him in our. He's such. He, he's and the thing is, he's, like, he's got the well. pace. He's got the exactly. pace. And I mean, Christensen's not slow. But I'm not sure if Tamori's there, that goal happens, that red card happens. No, I don't think it does. I don't think so. But yeah. Is, yeah. Again, what ifs, but yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I think he should, yeah, he should be given the opportunity against West Brom for 90 minutes, see what he can do. Um, but yeah, I think I, I don't think he's bought Thiago Silver and put him on the bench, even though he's 36. I think the leadership uh, he'll bring to the team and how he can play with the ball at his feet, I think that will suit well because you'll have him who can play and then you have Zuma who's a bit more just get rid sort of thing. But to be fair, yeah. I think Pete, like Zuma's distribution of ball isn't actually that mm. that bad. He's actually not too bad about it, but yeah, it was terrible frustrating watching us try and pass out the back yesterday because Liverpool pressed the shit out of us and we struggled yeah. and then there was just a moment we just kicked out for like a throw in just like just outside <laughs> our box and it's just like oh dear but yeah as you said it's just the wrong time to play Liverpool I know you know Leeds caused them problems but I, going into it I honestly thought it was a good time to play them they'd just come yeah. off the back of conceding three goals with our couple of new signings, Raverna is pacing behind. I thought we could have caused them some problems, but not to be. Uh, hopefully, we'll get them in the reverse fixture. <laughs> we can only hope. But hey, at least Man United lost this weekend. So there's always that. Right, that wraps up this episode of that Chelsea Chelsea podcast. Before you go, make sure you drop us a follow on Instagram at that Chelsea podcast. You can send in future questions there for the podcast on Twitter at that Chelsea pod. You can also send in your questions there. We're on Spotify, Google podcast, you're your regular ones. And we've recently been moved on to Amazon music as well. So any of you out there, 
you can also listen to us on there, which is really exciting. And look, hopefully we can continue to grow. The support, as always, is appreciated. And uh, until the next episode, everybody, keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.